It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And that's right. Here it is. Car Con Carne. Happy Hump Day. I'm James Van Ostel. Car Con Carne is sponsored tonight by Siren Records in McHenry. So I've been trying to think all week. Going to Siren Records is a reward for myself. It's a reward I give myself. It's a reward I gave to myself a lot over the past 13 months, over our time of shared crisis, over the pandemic. I love going there. I think I'm going Sunday morning, right when they open. I've got to get that new Gojira on vinyl and i'll probably just burn an hour just walking around the first couple passes through siren records those are just those are just for show that's just to kind of get the feel and the vibe right then second hour that's when you get down to business and really make the determination of what you're going to buy i love going there i love spending time there i'll be doing it again this weekend thanks to siren records for again sponsoring car cone carne my guest tonight, he is, well, he's been in the hospitality business for decades. He is Ken McGarry, and his career has led him to major food locales like Ontario, Dallas, and New Orleans. Here in Chicago, in the big city of Chicago, he was the director of operations for Dynamic Group. More recently, he opened the consulting firm Corgan Hospitality, and he has shared his industry knowledge and insights in the new book, The Surprise Restaurant Manager. Ken, good evening. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, James. Ken, you, you kind of come at this podcast from two different directions. One, you look very professional. You've got the microphone, you got the ring light, you got the locale. But but getting off the starting block was a challenge tonight. Yes, technology. All all mine on the all blame is on my end. Uh, I just could not figure out the links. Um, yes, and I, I at this point you think it'd be better at the technological aspects, but it really is my my weak point. I, you know, you probably are good at this. I think we're at a point of just denial. Like we've been doing this for so long, doing video streaming. We just all want to be done with it. I think it's our minds rebelling against the digital fortress we've been living in for the past year plus. Absolute possibility of that being the case. And that's what you write a book, a year of being off and deciding to uh, do something on the downtime. I, so many of us have worked in the hospitality industry at one point or another. I, I'm hard-pressed to think of people I know who haven't. I think a lot of us, even if we're not currently in the industry, can identify with what you talk about and recommend in this book. The world of restaurant management is well, it's challenging. In your own words, one minute you're a carefree bartender, successful server, or maybe a comfortable retiree. And then, my words, you got to figure all this stuff out. 100%. And you just handed the keys and zero training. And if you were a good bartender and a good server, you probably went from making a lot of money and <laughs> working a certain amount of hours. And now you're working twice as many hours for half as much pay. Um, it's like is, that in radio, too. You yeah. can be a, so why do you, why you do it to begin with? It, it's like that in radio. You can be a successful air personality. Then when you get bumped up to management, wait, I'm working longer hours. There's less financial reward. What have I done? <laughs> so assumably you're doing it because that there is some move beyond being a restaurant manager. It's like boot camp. You do it because you're moving on to something greater. And if your only move is just to be a restaurant manager, no one would probably do that. So chapter one is figure out why you're a restaurant manager and how did you find yourself in this position? 
And there are different types and you identify them. I, I see a lot of this, or I have seen a lot of this, maybe not so much the past year, but the vanity project restaurant yes. manager. I, it's funny. I think people on the outside of the industry think, well, I can do that. I'd love to own a restaurant. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to become a manager. Oh, I'm going to open up a place. Very romantic. Yes. It's romantic. That's it. And that's, that's the most dangerous yes. or high risk of the management type easily it? it's usually people who have been very successful in another industry and they've always thought you know what i would really like to start a brewery or i would like to have a little small place because i'm a good chef so i can make some a, a great menu and then they open it and they don't understand why they can't succeed or keep the doors open it's a big big challenge for the vanity project because they don't come from it and i personally think that it should be a requirement it's kind of like isn't it Israel to where you have to join the military for at least a year? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think that there, there must be some level of that for us to, for every single person to be in the restaurant industry for at least a year, just so you have an appreciation for it. It would, it would really change people's perception of how hard it really is. So you started in the industry as a dishwasher. What is it about this industry? Cause it's a hard business. What is it about this industry that has, that hooked you in and has kept you growing ascending moving forward with with a smile on your face honestly it's just not wanting to sit at a desk i went to school i was a i you're exactly right i was a dishwasher at uh chuck e cheese and not to show my age it was showbiz when i started sure. by the time i left it was chuck e cheese so i'm one of the few who got to wear both the bear and the mouse costume which is pretty fantastic um <laughs> And then I, I, wor I worked my way up to serving and bartending, and I did that through college when I was getting my degree in English. And then I took a job writing, and it's rewarding and fantastic, but it's also very solitary. And so I started picking up some side work, going back to the industry, and found out pretty quickly that I really enjoyed being around people and being in a high-energy situation versus sitting at a desk, which is kind of what drew me to it. And it didn't mean that I made a lot of money at the beginning until I, you know, really understood what I was doing as a server and then ultimately moved to Chicago when I was in my late twenties. That's really when I started my, my trajectory in this industry. What I liked about working in a restaurant is what I like about working in radio. You have stuff that, you know, has to happen every day. There, there are certain things that need to be done, but beyond that, you don't know what the day is going to bring. Every day is different. It can go pear-shaped. It can go completely insane. It could be quiet. You just don't know. And that that unexpected aspect of the job, that unpredictability, was what made it appealing. It's what, what I liked about working as a bartender and as a waiter. It's what I like working in broadcasting. I'm sure that's part of it for you, too. Huge. And one of the big opportunities is that, you know, pivoting to now what I do and I open a lot of restaurants is that I never lose sight of the fact that this is where I found all my friends. This is where I found my wife is in a restaurant. And a lot of people make friends for life the same way you do in a high school or a college, that, that restaurant job that you probably had. Sure. And I just love the fact of being able to be a part of building something that you know darn well someone's going to get married there. Someone's, someone's going to be best friends lifelong. And it's because of those same energies, those people who, who thrive on chaos and they work really well mm -hmm. in those high-pressure situations. And we all kind of gravitate towards each other, and that's super enjoyable. Yeah, that's exactly it. The, the gravitating toward the chaos, I've always loved that. I, I met my best when I'm insanely busy. Yes, Yes, absolutely. I, I, I don't like being sedentary. I have a really hard time with it. Yep. 
my entire career, I stayed probably three years at every place because once I get them open, once I get them going, I get bored. So now yeah. that I'm going around the country and opening up restaurants with a celebrity chef, I honestly, I, I do it four weeks at a time. And so I build things, I develop them and I pick up and I go to another town. And that means that there's always chaos. And I kind of thrive in that. I mentioned that this book will sound familiar to anyone who's worked in the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. I think that there are so many lessons here that translate to other industries. And that's why I think this book is worth a read for people who maybe have never worked in a restaurant. The surprise restaurant manager is the book, things that you can ascribe to any number of industries or fields, even things like you mentioned embracing blunt criticism. No one likes criticism. No, they, they say they do. They, they tell you all the time, I want you to tell me straight, but the minute you do, they recoil and they get very upset about that. Absolutely so, true. <laughs> but you have to get to a point of appreciating the fact that people will shoot you straight as much as we're not inherently used to saying, oh, that's great. Uh, I'm often surprised you ever, when someone says to you, oh, thank you so much for doing this, you know, the automatic gainsay response is always, oh, no problem, or, hey, it's not a big thing. Instead of just taking ownership and saying, you're welcome. You know, you did something, I'm taking this. That level, it's the it's same true. response that makes you go, oh, criticism, I really want it. Oh, gosh, no, and they get really upset and recoil. Uh, it's especially when you get to owners and people who own a lot of restaurants, you have to deal with people that have very strong personalities, but yeah. it's the same strong personalities that actually drive the success. Because if you look at the success and failure rate of the restaurant industry, uh, a normal sane person wouldn't do it. You have to be a little headstrong. You have to be a little alpha to get in there. And they absolutely are. But it doesn't mean that that necessarily translates to operations, which is why there's the yin and yang. And, and what are those numbers? Um, I've always had in my head like 95%. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it falls in the same line as how much percent of your brain that you actually use. You know, I've heard that number being everywhere from 10% to actually all of it. So I think that you're, you're, you're safe to say that the numbers over five years is probably about a 70% success rate. But those are the numbers that kind of have a tendency of playing, but there are, there are definitely restaurants and concepts that have a plan that they're going to reconcept within that five years because they know that they can relaunch something new and different within that time frame, And that's just a planned obsolescence. And this book provides, provides help so that people don't fall off a cliff with their aspirations. This, there's some really helpful stuff. Again, lessons you can take and apply to other industries, things like data versus emotion. Yes. Being able to look at things clinically and not let your your head or your gut necessarily override logic. The number of times that I have restaurant owners tell me, oh, I don't like Todd. He's not a good server. Well, why? I just don't feel that he's great. But those I think and I feel statements are great for marriage therapy, but they <laughs> suck at running a restaurant. There's You can't run a business based on emotion. So if you're wanting to see how your staff are doing, then you focus on check averages or tip percentages or turn times or these things that are measurable and calculatable and communicated. So that way, when you do have those conversations with your staff, you can coach in, in things that they can actually work on because so often, and I'm sure that you've seen this in, you know, if you've worked in the restaurant industry, the best servers get the best sections and there's no explanation on why. 
And it's okay. It's not T-ball. It's major league. You're supposed to put your best people in your best sections, but you're also supposed to have a conversation with those other people who aren't as good and say, yeah, Becky's a four table section and you're a two, but here are the four things that you can do that are measurable to get you to be at that level. Not just, I feel that you don't have the energy. I I think you're not as good because no one improves by that. Let's talk a little bit about hiring. There's a lot in the book about hiring. And in my head, the way restaurants do this and, or maybe just the way you approach it is different from the way business generally hires, especially in the present day. And I, I say this anecdotally from my own experience when I was looking for work, I felt like when I was looking for work, I had to have a very specific skill set, and nothing else I brought to the table was consequential. Mm-hmm. And it is a real frustrating thing. I felt like I was getting uh, knocked out by algorithms. Reading the book, I feel like the approach is very different. Hire the person, not the position. Correct. You're you're really hiring based on attitude and and disposition, everything, and letting that molding the job around that personality in some respects. And I do say at the beginning of the book is my, you know, my heads up that this is definitely more front of the house driven. Um, I have total love for chefs because I can't do what they do. I think they're artists and I think that you're born with it and you have it or you don't. And as I also mentioned, they get to wear pajamas to work. So I really kind of <laughs> envy that as well. Um, so from a front of the house perspective, I can teach you to do anything. If I can take somebody who has the right tools that I can't teach and make them a great server or a great bartender, or a great manager, uh, the things I can't teach are work ethic and mm-hmm. drive and uh, personality. And those are the things that you want to translate at the table. But the so when I'm hiring, I, I hire based on personality. We talk about the hobbies that they enjoy and then kind of extrapolate from there what those hobbies say about you. It I thought that was so it, that was so interesting in the book based on whether they watch documentaries yeah. or it just you can figure out what personality type they are. And you, I I'm guessing that maybe that's something other businesses and hiring managers do. I'd never seen that spelled out so clearly before. And it makes perfect sense to me. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. People that are willing to do pick up basketball games on the weekends, believe in team sports and they're driven. People who are uh, uh, documentary, uh, who love documentaries are people that are a lot more analytical. Um, And the difference between that is probably the difference between people that will succeed in an opening of a new restaurant and people that will succeed after a year. Because that first restaurant for the first time you open is complete chaos. And if you want everything in its exact place and figured out from the first day that you open, don't ever join a new restaurant because it's never figured out. It changes a hundred times because you're still listening to not only what you're trying to do, but what the public is telling you that they want after a year, then it's all figured out. And if you're that person that's a lot more analytical, you'll succeed more in a year, but that's also where the creativity begins to dive. Cause at that point, you're not coming up with new systems. You figured them out, and now you're just mainstaying and managing the numbers. And different people function well in different in different areas. It's just figuring that out in the beginning and not put a whole bunch of documentary lovers to open your restaurant and then not a whole bunch of chaos lovers two years after you're open. You underscore something that I think we've all known to be true for a while. People don't quit jobs. They, they quit managers. They quit people. Without question. And so it's your job as a manager, and you express this to bring out the best in people and be the best 
to those people. I, the I, I believe that you know one full one full chapter. I would I would love to to plaster to everyone because it's this is how you run off good staff. This is absolutely the things that you do as a manager. And the first and foremost is if you're a good server or a good bartender, uh, you can work anywhere. I mean, legitimately everywhere. And especially now it's so, if you're a good bartender, you can pick up. So every single morning that that bartender server wakes up, they are making a conscious choice to decide to work for you. And that should be met with appreciation. But the number of managers that function from a, I've got a stack of resumes and you're, it's it's just wrongheaded and that all goes all the way back to the the bait that i use for job posting it's a whole bunch of this is who we are and we would love to have you and if you would like to be a part of us we would love to instead of we're a place that is this award-winning blah 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 and wouldn't you be happy to be here it's that immediate we need help and if you're the type of person to help out we would love to have you a part of that and i think that the question I get a lot is that how do you get top talent? And the answer is appreciate them completely and realize that in all communication that you need their help more than they need you. And you talk a lot about the interview process and it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me that people still make the same boneheaded mistakes when they show up for an interview. They, they bring an audience, they bring yeah. someone with them. Yes. The, my, I list them in the order of the eight offer killers. Uh, and right up there, right up there. And, and this is just an industry list. Number two is uh, bashing previous restaurants. And of course, there's a reason that you probably left the place that you were at before, but I've had people talk about like rat infestation and like money laundering and all these things about why they left this other place instead of talking about the benefits of what they could probably get at this new place. It's, you know, instead of focusing on, wow, I think that you've got a really great menu or I'm excited about your training program. Instead, they kind of bash previous places, which means they're going to do that to you when they leave. Exactly. Exactly right. And yeah, there's definitely. And then in the hiring process, the number of times that people ask questions that they just shouldn't ask. They are illegal questions beyond the cliched ones, which you should avoid, like where you're going to be in five years or how do you handle oh, stress? Yeah. Because people just have gainsay responses that they've already figured out and they're just canned. Um, there's illegal ones like, hey, do you have kids? This one I hear all the time. Oh, you got a family, got a wife? And people don't understand that there are a lot of places that discriminate based on whether or not you have a family simply because they think if you do, you're not going to be able to, to have the hours that they want you to work, which right. is wrong, but it is, it's definitely a, a thing. You talk about how to avoid HR as a manager. What is overestimated familiarity? Overestimated familiarity is when you absolutely believe that you have a communication with somebody uh, on a level that you really don't. It's the ability to joke and be a lot less professional, a lot more casual. And you think that you're doing it to actually build a rapport. I see this a lot with manager nicknames. Someone will call somebody, hey, Stumpy, how you doing? And they think that that's fun. But they don't have that same power to communicate back. And they're not going to be able to be okay with realizing that because it's never on equal terms. So overestimate familiarity is simply when you've put yourself in a situation to where you have discounted the level of 
for lack of a better term, the power that you have, the the the, the disparity of levels between you and that staff member, and realizing that your communication is way too casual and it's putting you in a bad situation. And again, this is what I was saying. This book translates to people who don't work in hospitality. Yes, it, it's designed for people in the business, but it, it makes so much sense whether you're managing an office, a car wash, whatever. These, these rules apply a, across the board. I want to talk a little bit. This is this has been such a tough year. Obviously, we, we know this, uh, but mental health has been an ongoing concern and something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. You quote some statistics in, in as you're talking about work-life balance. Food service workers also have the highest rate of illicit drug use, 19.1%, and third highest rate of heavy alcohol use, 11.8% of any profession. Correct. As a manager, having that internalized in your head it's a lot, lots of, lots of way as you're running it, your it, joint. It is a lot to way, but it's also has to do with a level of access and a level of, of acceptability. I will 100% be the first to say that I'm hypocritical by saying that I, I've not gone out with staff and hung out or had a drink after shift because I have. And quite often those things are kind of inherent to the system. The challenge is being able to balance that and understand when that's becoming a coping mechanism versus a social thing. And when that social decision also is putting you in a bad situation from a managerial standpoint, because you're hanging out with the same few people, which is now disassociating and disempowering everybody else around you because now they think that you've got buddies on the staff. But yes, the ease and convenience of being able to deal with it, what is a very high stress job. And I mean, I'm not, putting it higher or lower than any other job in the world. But a restaurant manager spends the majority of their time uh, dealing with issues, running to tables. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a grind and it's, it is 12 hour minimum. And it just, it, at the end of the day, you want something that punctuates it and makes you go, this is good. So that one basil Hayden that you have at the end of your shift can easily become two or three, especially since, you're probably not ringing them up and you're absolutely uh, able to just have as many as you want. So imagine how many more uh, people would have uh, alcohol problems if they didn't have to pay for it. And that's a reality. And it's a restaurant manager, whether or not that that's right. And of course it's not, and they should ring them in, but they don't. Um, it, it does become a coping mechanism. And the running joke is, you know, if you're trying to figure out whether or not you're an alcoholic, the question is, well, do you work in the industry? Because if you work in the industry, you know, you can drink five drinks a night and be like, ah, well, that's what we do in the industry. But if you were an architect and you drank five drinks a night right. as an architect, you might have a problem. For real. And you talked about how busy you are. How It's like playing whack-a-mole. Yes. As a manager, isn't it? You're just, oh, this this table has an issue. There's a problem in the kitchen. I got to bring more cash to the register up front. It's just, you, you keep whacking the mole over the head just to keep, keep the game going. And it's so hard not to get hardened. It's so hard to not what I call play detective to where you begin to stop start distrusting the people that are speaking out and saying that there's problems with their food or problems with their service. And suddenly it becomes adversarial. And now you're absorbing everything on surface level and you're meeting aggression with similar aggression. And because of that, that's where I have a 
chapter about two steps back, where you simply have to realize why somebody's communicating, why they are so incredibly upset, and what that probably ultimately means about their level of insecurity, because they're probably internalizing. I've seen people who think that their steaks were overcooked because of them, that it was a conscious choice that we did that to them. And you have to you have to kind of take a couple steps back and realize that is an unfortunate and sad response. And that that continues on even to online reviews. I've sure. actually gone to Yelp uh, in both here in the headquarters in Chicago and uh, to their national headquarters in San Francisco. And the first thing they say in all of my presentations is, I hate Yelp. Because why wouldn't you? You spend months trying to put together a restaurant, years, and you know you, everything's fantastic, and you you worry, and you train, and you do everything you possibly can, and it's, oh, inadequate parking, two stars. And you're like, well, shit. <laughs> so, and it's terrible. So it's very easy to hate it, but it's also really necessary because if somebody really cares that much to write a huge mm -hmm. diatribe, that's passion. I've never cared that much. If somebody screws me over and it's a bad experience, I just don't go. I just literally, you can't find me because I'm not going to complain at the table. I'm just never going to go back. Right. If you're somebody who wants to give me a one-star experience, great, because I can turn it into a five-star because that level of anger that you have, I can still make into a positive experience. Totally agree. And you're absolutely right. The majority of people would never even bother. Good I wouldn't. Would you? I mean, you're going to go on and write a five paragraph about how you felt about your Yelp experience. You know, the, there was a time. Do you have a Yelp account? It's okay to admit it. <laughs> no, I do. And I, I think I've reviewed like three things. And there was a time five years ago, I, I wrote a really shitty thing about a restaurant and I publish it. And if, as soon as I publish it, I'm like, oh, I feel awful about this. Why, why right. did I do that? And so the other two reviews I have are positive. Yep. I, I'm like, I'm not doing that again. I just, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be internet guy. I feel gross about it. Again, this is a while ago. Um, but yeah, I, I, well, do have I, have, I have one too, but I only use it for, for positive things. If you want to reach out to a restaurant, do so, but reach out to the restaurant. The thing about all online reviews, whatever they are, is it's never written to the business. It's always written to the public. So it's, this place is great. You should totally check it out. Or this place sucks and avoid it at all costs. It, has nothing to do with reaching out to the restaurant. It has to do with reaching out to their audience. And when you get to the point to where you're communicating to people in their audience, the worst thing that you can do is respond publicly. Because once you do that, you're yep. going to now be in their turf and you're shouting them down off of a soapbox, which won't work. So right. in, in part of the training for the book, it absolutely says respond privately and thank them for reaching out to you. Now, they didn't reach out to you, and they and it definitely wasn't private, but that will allow people to kind of decompress and reconsider yeah. the possibility of returning to the restaurant and seeing maybe that this was an isolated incident and we could do better. That's it. And the bottom line is people just like to know that they were heard. Yes. It's that acknowledgement. And I think you're absolutely right. You can absolutely flip those people. But, yeah, you have to do it behind the curtain because yes. the second you, you play ball in their field, forget it. Yeah, exactly. Because, because I mean, I could stand up and I'm not political, but I can stand up and say, I will vote for every Democrat in the world. 
And then if you said to me, well, what about that guy in the 14th? He's kind of a scumbag. I'd be like, I don't care because I'm shouting that out. But if you pulled me over quietly, I might change my opinion. But I'm not going to do that publicly because I don't. And the thing that I always love is that people will say, well, you can bite me back, but I'm not going to change my review. And so I train, don't ever talk about the review. And if they say don't, then they're not going to change it. I always say, great, don't. That actually was your first experience. So let's just go ahead and fix what is your next experience. And you know what happens? They change it all the time. That's awesome. So many great pieces of advice so many great nuggets and this all comes from a position of knowledge and experience uh, again the book it's available now it's the surprise restaurant manager by ken mcgarry i love it because it applies I, I i see things that i can take into my professional life and other people can i i love it ken really great job on this i really appreciate that and the only other thing i want to throw out there is on amazon i have it as an ebook for 99 cents and the reason that i do that is simply because it's more important for me to get the information out because I think right now, especially, there are a lot of people being given the keys because there's definitely yeah. there's definitely a a a lack of having uh, staff in restaurants, and so people who traditionally weren't managers are being given that responsibility and zero training. So I the the message I would like to make sure that people understand is it's great to buy the print book, and I appreciate that. But you can get the 99 cent version by just going on Amazon and getting the ebook. And I, and I love it either way. I love it. All right. Before I let you go, I know you're a music fan. When you're um, decompressing from, from your career as a consultant, as a manager, what are you listening to? I listen to Rage Against the Machine a lot. That's always been my thing. Um, I would love to say that I'm into new music, but I'm not. I will, I have to say, um, Congratulations on the 600. And okay. I went back and I watched. And just because it is a very small world, um, the chef I work with that I open up restaurants with um, all over the U.S. is also in pig face. So I, I think everyone's, I think we're in pig face. There's I so know. Members so I was like, it's great. And I used to know Stuby from Lucky Boys when I ran the Hunt Club uh, in 2001 in, oh, wow. uh, yeah, in, in the Gold Coast. So being able to go back and watch your 600 was really kind of an old home day for me being able to oh, see that's awesome. So it was awesome. So I appreciate that. And Hey, here's the 600 more. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Martin Atkins from pig face. Who's one of the most intelligent people I've ever spoken with. I mean, he, what you're doing for restaurant management, he does for the music business. Oh, well that's, he, he is, he's he he's a beacon. Here. He's a beacon for musicians and anyone in that industry. Uh, he's written, the the go-to the de facto manuals on how to conduct yourself in the business he's he awesome so thank you for watching that oh of course absolutely all right so the book it's a value at any price let's be clear uh the surprise restaurant manager but 99 cents for the ebook you can have it on your phone tonight and yep. read it and it's, it's a quick read it's a comprehensive book i love it all right ken stay right there thank you for doing this thank you i really appreciate it all right carquin carney thank you for watching and listening